growth is in fact slow because there isn't as much to learn. And so now you've got slow and then fast and then slow. And when you understand what growth looks like, when you can trace the emotional arc of your growth, then you increase your capacity to grow because you, you know where you are in the mountain and then you know what to do next. And so this is how it can help with personal growth. Leading teams and organizations to greatness has never been more challenging than it is right now. But when we speak with special guests like Whitney Johnson, we see there is opportunity amidst all the chaos. Literally, more than ever, reports and studies are showing that CEOs recognize they need to transform themselves as well as their organizations. It's probably a result of the pandemic and a lot of other factors. So together, we need to recognize that the way to do all of that is to start with yourself, something we've been preaching for a couple of years on the Big Self Podcast. And the challenge, of course, lies in that tension between knowing how to stop kind of walking in circles and how to proceed forward. And in her book, Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company, which just came out, Whitney Johnson, who is CEO of Disruption Advisors, provides a set of tools to get smart about growth. And we caught her at the right time because she's, of course, busy running her own company, as well as hosting her own terrific podcast, Disrupt Yourself. I think you'll find this conversation particularly helpful, especially when it comes to the many ways you can measure your growth through Whitney's idea of the S-curve. Today's episode is an ad-free production. If you are interested in any of our Big Self services, our coaching, publishing, or in-person trainings for half-day, full-day, or weekend retreats, check us out at BigSelfSchool.com. Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I am so thrilled to be here today with someone that I know you all are going to enjoy, her and her work, Whitney Johnson. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Shelly, thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, this is great. We had, I had, let me be clear, I had a couple little technical issues and you were incredibly gracious to me. So put me at immediate ease. And so I appreciate that. And just you being here, uh, we're going to just jump in because I am really excited about your book. I told you I've looked over it. I've read um, parts of it, not the whole thing yet, but I'm really excited about mm -hmm. diving into this with you um, as well as some of your previous work too around disruption and how you think about that. Mm -hmm. So your new book is called Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. And I believe it just released. Am I right about that? January okay. 11th. So about That's a month ago. Well, I wanted you um, to kick us off. If you could tell us a little bit about the book and I'm really curious about what led you to write this, this one, because I know you have several books. So what was the impetus for writing this book? Mm. As you stated, I have written several books and the prior two books were Disrupt Yourself and Build an A-Team. And in both of those books, I was talking about 
Well, in Disrupt Yourself, I was talking about how you step back from who you are to slingshot into who you want to be using the framework of personal disruption, which was based on my work with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School. And then Build an A Team was taking this framework of disruption to configure a team. But in both of these books, there was this backup Mm. singer. And the backup singer was the S curve of learning, which was a model for what growth looks like. And I knew it was important, but I had it in the Mm. background. Over the course of the past few years of talking about those two books, I would have conversations with people and they would say, let's talk about the S curve. And, And one conversation in particular that stands out is I was being interviewed by Dan Pink for his Pink cast and it's 90 seconds. And he said, all right, what do you want to talk about? And I remember giving him about 10 different ideas of what we could talk about in the book. And finally, he said, let's talk about the S-curve of learning. Mm. And so I kept getting this feedback from people of let's talk about this. And so I realized they wanted to talk about it because it was very simple. It was very visual. Therefore, it was useful. It became this model for people to visualize what growth looks like. And it was with that feedback that I kept getting that it needed to stop being the backup Mm. singer and start being the lead singer. And once I made that decision, I realized, oh, there's so much more here than just what I had before. And so it became this deep dive on this map for what growth looks like, the emotional Mm. arc of growth. So that is why I wrote this particular book. It's all, yeah, it's like the trilogy. It's almost that like piece that needed to <laughs> be birthed finally. Yeah. And yes. we're going to yes. talk about the S-curve in a minute. Um, but before we do, I want to, because this is from your, I think it may have been um, the intro to your book, because you do talk a little bit about the influence of Clayton Christensen, which I, well, goodness, probably 10 years ago was introduced to him um, and I'm the the title's escaping me, but the uh, uh, how to build a meaningful life or oh how will you measure, will you your, measure life? your life? Thank you. Yeah, that um, mm. I found that I was obviously in this stage of my life of seeking. Still am, if mm. I'm honest. Um, and that just <laughs> aren't yeah, we always? Yeah, and that book hit me at just the right time. So I've always really liked his work. Um, So his theory, a lot of what he talks about, um, he contends that these Goliath-like legacy businesses can be and probably are often disrupted by the Davids, you know, if you think about the David and Mm -hmm. Goliath metaphor. So in your book, um, you write, by 2004, I had been an award-winning analyst for nearly eight years I loved it, but I felt like there was something more. After an especially discouraging conversation with my manager who wanted me to stay right where I was, I had a flash of insight. My current equity analyst self was the incumbent, Goliath. My future self was the upstart, David. To wake up the giant, I had to disrupt myself. I love that. I I saw that and I was like, oh God, that that takes me in so many directions. Could you talk about that, that moment, that Mm. insight, Mm. and what you did with it? Mm. First of all, thank you for reading that back to me. I haven't had anybody read that to me, and it's, it's really 
fun to hear my words yeah. right back to me. I, maybe that's narcissistic, but I no, like it I, anyway. I'm taking a page um, from Oprah, like the best, because she does that. I was like, that's that's the way to do it. Does she? <laughs> oh, well, we're both yeah. learning from Oprah today then. I love that. So um, so here's what happened. I, I was working as an equity analyst, and I had read The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton, And at the time, or at least initially, I was trying to build a financial model for the emerging markets telecom. And every single quarter, the wireless numbers across the industry were beating my estimates. Mm. Every quarter. I was trying to figure out what's happening. Why do they keep beating my estimates? Because I was getting increasingly aggressive with my estimates, and they Mm. were still beating them. And then I came across The Innovator's Dilemma, And I said, oh, that's what's happening. Wireless is disrupting wireline. It doesn't matter that the wireless handset, the sound quality is terrible compared to the landline. People don't care because bad sound is better than no sound. And if you can't afford a landline and you don't have access to credit, you're going to take bad sound. Mm. And so people were willing to buy this, this crummy little thing. And so wireless is disrupting wireline. So now I have this explanatory mechanism, this understanding of David overtaking Goliath running in the back of my mind. I then have that conversation with my manager who says, we like you right where you are. It doesn't matter that you've been II ranked for eight years. You, we need you to keep doing what you're doing. I now have this kernel of an idea that this theory of disruption, or it was in my head, but I also remember reading a specific passage in the book. And I can't find the passage anymore, but it was in The Innovator's Dilemma. And I remember having this aha of, if I'm going to do in my life what I feel like I'm meant to do, whatever that is, like you said, we're all seekers, I'm going to have to disrupt Mm. myself. I'm going to have to leave what I'm doing, this comfortable perch of what I'm doing, even though it's doing the functional job that I need it to do, it's not doing the emotional mm. job. And so I needed to step back from who I was to slingshot into who I could be. And the reason what's happening with personal disruption is that with products and services, you've got Netflix disrupting Blockbuster, but with personal disruption, you're David and you're Goliath. Mm. You're disrupting yourself. And so I needed to disrupt myself I left Wall Street, became an entrepreneur, and eventually co-founded the Disruptive Innovation Fund with Clayton. But that's that's what was going through my mind um, in in that instance or over those few months. So there was this uh, kernel of awareness that was growing, which was there. There's something more, and I certainly have felt that in my life, Um, and not always clear about what that is. Uh, Were you? I guess two questions that I'm wondering: Were you clear? And then what role did fear play? How did you Mm. address fear? Because there is so much, you know, when I think about disruption, probably, I mean, pretty quickly, I think about fear. I think about resistance, those things that for for most people really keep us where we are. And so how did you get the clarity to think about disrupting yourself? And then how did you work with the fear? Mm. So I don't know that I had full awareness. I don't think we ever do. I think it's, it's very nascent. What's interesting about the fear is that there was 
So I have a fear. One of my fears is being stuck and not making Mm -hmm. progress. That's a, a fear that I have. We all have different fears, but that was one of my fears is that I can't stagnate. If I stagnate, I will die emotionally. And so I had this fear that I was going to stagnate. And so that helped me make a decision to do something new. But then I also did something that was a little bit foolhardy, which was I knew I wanted to do something new. And there were a number of entrepreneurial things that I was looking at. Um, I was also impatient. And so I do talk about this in the book is that when you're at the launch point of a new curve, sometimes it's, it's uncomfortable and it's awkward, but it's also a very big open loop. And we don't like open <laughs> loops. So t- sometimes we get impatient. And so we try to close it as fast as we can. So one thing that I did not do well, and I think this goes to fear in, in some form or fashion of fear of an open loop, is that I was a bit impetuous. I made the decision that I wanted to disrupt myself. I wanted to do something new. But I didn't think through carefully enough initially of what I was going to do next, how we were going to manage the finances initially and what that would look like. It was just sort of, let's go do this. And so so I managed the fear in some ways of, yeah, I'm going to do it. And so good for me. But I also didn't manage the fear that came with being in the unknown and being impatient and wanting just to Mm -hmm. do it now as opposed to doing Mm -hmm. it thoughtfully. Which is somewhat about what what the S-curve is about. I mean, that process, the progress of change. It's so, and we were just talking about the Enneagram. So I mentioned that Chad and I are both doing a lot of work and, and as a business, um, we're really students of the Enneagram. And so, so as I'm looking at your work, uh, and even thinking about my own kind of work journey, my career journey, everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, like that's disrupt myself. I I gave a Ted talk on like, being an empathic badass was the the word the cup the words I used the <laughs> monikers and but talking about as a therapist being inside you know literally like a tiny room all day and I talked to eight people and I felt like a caged bird and so unconsciously I did disrupt myself like I I wasn't aware that I was doing it but what I do I throw myself headlong. And I have no system. I have no framework. I have no methodology. I have no scaffolding. It's just like, I don't like this. Disrupt. And then over here, boom, taking on way, way more than is possible or humanly capable of doing. And so then I obviously pull back or get, you know, or crash is more of what happens for me. And there's a lot around my Enneagram type and learning about my personality structure Mm. and how how I think about that. So, um, yeah, so that just made me think about this, how this process works for us in so many different ways, depending on these personality types and depending on Mm. like what you're saying, what we're most scared of. I think that's a little bit of what drives it too. Yeah, that would be, you know, it'd be really interesting, Shelley, is to take a look at the different Enneagram types and say, okay, so based on your Enneagram type, What's going to motivate you to jump to a new curve and sort sort of what's going to be the carrot and what's going to be the stick in jumping to a new curve? And so like we just said is I was afraid of the open loop and that got me to move forward. But maybe so do you want to guess what I am? You don't know me well enough to guess. Yeah, tell tell me. And I'm, I'm, 
I've, I have uh, given one. myself freedom to not type anybody because <laughs> it's okay. a lot of pressure. I'm a, I'm a one with okay. a two wing. So you, yeah. So we yeah. connect oh. at that two place. Like, and I have a lot of one mm-hmm. in me. Let me, and Chad, Chad will tell mm-hmm. you, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. I do have that. The beautiful parts of a one and the, the less beautiful, because mm-hmm. like, we all, we all have mm-hmm. that. So yeah, continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it'd just be really interesting to look at, okay, so what, you know, depending on what you're afraid of, and then also what motivates you, then you're going to talk to someone differently about launching onto a new curve and how to build momentum off the launch point of that curve. Uh, I love that. And because we're all coming at it with different lenses, with different Mm -hmm. motivations, different fears, uh, different even levels of awareness. You know, I, I, I work with so many people who come into coaching with me and they're, um, they, it's, it's really interesting. They know this is not it or, or the question is, is Mm -hmm. this it? is this really what I'm going to be doing for the next 30 years or whatever? Or so there's this, this growing swelling awareness of, of dissatisfaction, but in terms Mm -hmm. of what to do with that. um, And obviously that's why they're coming for coaching. Uh, But so I love how your book really does kind of give a framework to think about that. Um, And we can interject Enneagram as we go through this, Mm -hmm. but I really Mm -hmm. want you to talk about the S curve. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is your book. This is, you've got, mm-hmm. um, I, I, let me just leave it there. How can we use the concept of the S curve for our personal mm-hmm. growth and transformation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let me describe yes, what it is, great. first of all, and then we'll, t- and then we'll walk through it. We were using the S curve itself has been around for 80, 90 years And it was originally popularized by Everett Rogers, a sociologist, that was trying to figure out why it was taking so long for corn, a new type of corn, a hybrid corn that was drought resistant, um, easier to harvest, and um, 20% higher yield, and it was so slow to be adopted. It took five years for 10% of the farmers in Iowa to adopt it. But then as he he tracked what was happening, once 10% adopted it, then he discovered that in the next three years, they went from 10% to 40%. Mm. So he created, he said, oh, so ideas or innovations get adopted along the shape of an S. Initially, the growth is very slow until a tipping point is reached, the knee of the curve, you move into hypergrowth, and then at some point, saturation, the growth tapers off. So we were using this S-curve at the Disruptive Innovation Fund to help us figure out how quickly is an innovation or a company like Netflix going to get adopted? How long will it take? Because that could help us predict when or if we should be buying a stock. So we're applying this in investing. And I have yet another aha. And you're going to notice this pattern where I think about disruption, its products. Let me think about people. When I was on Wall Street, we were thinking about stocks. I said, well, how does this momentum apply to people? Well, I did this a third time, which was how do we take this S curve and could it help us articulate what individual growth looks like? What does individual Mm -hmm. change look like? And so now let me walk through it and I'll talk through it at a high level, and then we can go deeper Perfect. if we want. So whenever you start something new, you are at the base of the S. Your brain is running a predictive model. 
it has a hypothesis. So think about it at the base of a mountain. It has this hypothesis about what is it going to take for me to get to the top of the S or the top of that mountain? It's making lots of predictions, many of which are inaccurate. Mm. And because those predictions are inaccurate, your dopamine drops. And dopamine is the chemical messenger of delight. So when your dopamine drops, you're getting a lot of de-delight. That's not a word. I just made it up. I, I get your delight it. Is I, going I, get, down. I, get, I think it should be a word. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Um, we'll, we'll have to canonize yes. that. The other thing that's happening is that because you're in new terrain or new territory, you are literally making memories. You're looking at all this information. You're not sure what to do with it. So your brain is on overload. So you feel tired. It's, this is exhausting. I'm, I'm mapping a new territory. The third thing that's happening is you're having an identity mm. shift because you're no longer who you were. You're, you're about to become who you will be. That involves something that's new to you. And so that is also very taxing. So at the launch point of the S-curve, you can feel frustrated. You can feel overwhelmed. You can feel discouraged. You can feel impatient, like I just described. Tired. Open loop. Want to close it. Sounds like it. it would be exhausting at that point. tired. It's exhausting. And the older you get, the more you can insulate yourself from ever doing anything oh. new. So you get out of practice. Gosh, yes. So... What's happening at the launch point, growth is happening, but it's not apparent and you're so taxed that the experience that you are having at the launch point of doing anything new is slow, just feels mm -hmm. slow. So that's what happens there. Now, the reason that that's useful to know is that then when you're doing something new, you can now say to yourself, I'm tired, I'm cranky, I'm overwhelmed. Of course I am. <laughs> I'm at the That's launch the part, part of the journey. Of the Come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. So that's, that's the first part of the curve. Now, you're continuing to run the model. Your model, as you make predictions, will get increasingly accurate. And so you're going to be competent and confident. You're getting upside emotional surprises because the dopamine's like, oh, oh, that was right. <gasps> that, oh. <gasps> That was right. Lots and lots of dopamine. It's still hard, but it's no longer too hard. It's a lot easier, but it's not yet too easy. Mm -hmm. And so the experience you're having here is exhilaration. Mm -hmm. um, your identity is starting to shift. So you're, you're not yet who you will be, but you're in that process of transformation. And you're processing new information, but it's actually really engaging now because it's not too much. It's optimized. If you think about the Dunning-Kruger mm -hmm. effect, it's, it's an optimized intake of information. And so the experience that you're having in the sweet spot of your growth is it is fast mm. and it feels fast. So once you know that, you can say, all right, I want to stay here as long as I can, but I don't want to stay here forever because I want to continue mm -hmm. to grow. In mastery, the experience that you're having is you're, you figured it out. The model is complete, done, which means you figured it out, but you're not getting very much dopamine. And because you're no longer challenged, you're somewhat bored. There's nothing new here to see because you've mapped out the entire terrain. And so your brain says, okay, it seems like time's going by really fast because there's nothing to see. It's like when you're going home from a trip mm -hmm. as opposed to, to a trip. And Growth is, in fact, slow because there isn't as much to learn. And so now you've got slow and then fast and then slow. 
And when you understand what growth looks like, when you can trace the emotional arc of your growth, then you increase your capacity to grow because you, you know where you are in the mountain and then you know what to do next. And so this is how it can help with personal growth. Does this, uh, well, okay, I have several questions. And then I'm assuming you then, for the next kind of evolution of growth, come back to the beginning. Like this is a, pro- yes. this is a, a stage process that kind of keeps going as you learn and grow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And does it work yeah, for anything? Yeah, yeah. Let me say okay. one more thing and then, and then I'll answer that question. So I actually would argue that peak performance, we talk about, okay, you're in the sweet spot. In my view of the world, peak performance is the ability to navigate the entire growth cycle. You know how to begin. You know how to be in the sweet spot in flow. You know how to be in mastery and to move from mastery. You get to the top of the mountain. You keep climbing because that's what growth is, is it's the ability to complete those growth cycles. So to answer your question, um, my hypothesis that is that it does, um, whether it's a job, it's your career, um, whether you're taking on a new hobby, you can think about your, your day as an S curve. You can think about your life as an S curve. You can think about your career as an S curve. Now, the one thing that I would say that is worth exploring is with relationships, There will be some relationships. Maybe you've worked with someone for a period. They're your boss. And you may get to the top of your S-curve with a boss, for example. But in a marriage relationship or in, you know, with children or family, what you want to do if if once you've decided that it is the right S-curve for you, so the right relationship, what you're looking to do is to stay in the sweet spot in perpetuity. Mm. Because with your husband, for example, you don't want to get to mastery. Mm -hmm. You want to always feel like you are growing and developing together in your relationship. That's great. Yeah. It's making me think of, um, you mentioned flow. So flow, the Uh psychological theory of flow, um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's work around, you know, flow is kind of that almost like that euphoria. (laughs) That's what I think of between Mm -hmm. struggle challenge and mastery or skill kind of attainment, like that sweet spot. Um, and I think about that a lot and I, and I'd love to hear you, what you think about this. Cause when I've talked about flow or had people ask me clients, like, you know, the idea of getting to that sufficient challenge and mastery sweet spot that's really hard, I think, for a lot of people to operationalize. I think mm. theoretically, they kind of like, they understand when they're in flow, like they can kind of understand mm. what that feels like. But when we start putting, you know, hitting the rubber to the road, it's like, how do I create that? How do I mm. challenge myself enough without overtaxing and stressing myself and then meet the those challenges with enough uh, it's it's moving through the S curve. This or the yeah. yeah. The, I mean, that's exactly yeah. what I think yeah. people are asking. Like, how does that look? And I'd love to with that if you have an example, maybe even from your own life of how what that looks like to to move when th- when you're in that sweet yeah. spot or yeah. If you think about in the book, we talk about um, 
this idea of optimized tension and actually call it the Goldilocks mm. table, where at the launch point of the curve, the chair is too big. And in the sweet spot, the chair is just right. And in mastery, the chair is too small. And yeah. so what you can start to look at is, all right, well, at the launch point, the experience I'm having around stress, for example, is there's too much stress. It's, it's too hard and it feels too big. And in mastery, you don't have enough stress. You're bored. And in the sweet spot, you say, oh, yeah, this is exactly the right amount of stress because there's enough energy, there's enough And in mastery, you have, um, you might have the, uh, let's see, too much confidence. And in mastery, you're going to have perhaps, no, that's confidence not going to work. Okay, well, I think, I think apathy. Apathy. Okay. Yeah. Like, you feel apathy. You don't care. Yeah. Or yeah. cynicism or like. I'm done. Uh, and maybe that's the dissatisfaction yeah. that a lot of people, like I've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you could almost argue like you've got overconfidence, like, oh, I've got this and so fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, I got it. So I think that's that's how you look at it. Now, in terms of how do you know, I mean, part of the challenge with the sweet spot is if you think about when you're talking to your friends, when it's really hard and they're starting something new, they'll talk to you about that. Oh, Shelly, this is so hard. I'm trying to do this really hard thing. And in mass, you're like, oh, Shelly, I'm really bored. I, I, mm-hmm. I got to do something new. They don't tell you when their job is going great. They don't show up and go, let me tell you how great my work is going. So that's yep. actually a signal to you that you're in the sweet spot when you um, actually okay. don't talk about it because everything's working. It's just mm-hmm. great. It's just dandy. And you don't want to brag right? So you just, you just don't talk about it. Yeah. Now, now in terms of an experience, um, I can give you an experience of that yesterday. So I was doing a webinar and I had prepared for the webinar, um, but it was a webinar with 600 people. I'm doing a lot of work of trying to be really present when I'm talking and not, you know, not sort of becoming an automaton in any sort of way. And when I was in that moment of doing the webinar, I had this experience of this is definitely challenging me because I've got all this material that I'm putting forth. I want to be present. I'm managing the comments. I'm, I'm responding to the questions. So I'm feeling challenged, but I felt absolutely up to the challenge. Mm. I felt capable of meeting that moment, of being in that moment, and of being effective in that moment but it also felt like it wasn't guaranteed that I would be successful. I just felt capable that I could be, and in fact, I was. And I think that is a great example for when we know that we're in the sweet spot. Um, in, in, in a role, in a, in a project, um, even in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about your six stages of growth here mm-hmm. in a minute that go with that S-curve, but it's... Um, one of the things I'm thinking about, and I, I talk a lot about the ladder leaning against the wrong wall, mm. that idea that doing work that we're not suited to do. And so I'm curious, how do you think about that? How do you help people or even in your own experience differentiate between disruption, like good stress uh-huh. and movement and, and growth? 
Um, and kind of on that launch pad of moving through that process versus stress caused by, um, you know, starting off in a path that's not the right not path. suited yep. okay. to do. Yeah, it's a great question. Okay, so I have a couple of thoughts. Um, first of all, um, when I was, when I wrote Disrupt Yourself, I was looking really closely at disruption theory. And one of the things that we had used uh, at the Disruptive Innovation Fund is how do you know when, or what are the odds of success when you've got a, you're a disruptor? And what we found is that even when you were willing to play where no one else is playing and you did everything according to the theory of disruption that would say that you would be successful, your odds of success did go up significantly. They went up to six times, six times higher and your revenue opportunity was 20 times mm -hmm. greater. But there was still, but that was only 6% to 36%. So there was still a 64% chance that you were not going to be successful. So if you extrapolate that to our individual lives, that means that there are going to be many S-curves that we will try that will not be the right S-curves for us. And so um, understanding that, understanding that data, understanding the statistics around that, that gives us permission to say, I'm going to try this. It may not be the right thing for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try, knowing that no S-curve is ever wasted. Because one of the things that happens mm. is even when we're willing to disrupt ourselves. Yeah. The very act of learning something new builds our muscle and our ability to learn something new, which is a, a skill that we all need. Now, mm. to your more direct question of how do I know? Well, the very first stage of launch point is explorer. And so one of the things that we have is this rubric of seven questions that you can ask yourself of, okay, I chose to be on this curve or I was stranded on this S-curve island. Now let me explore it and decide, do I want to stay here? Or is, in your words, is the ladder leaning against the right wall or the wrong wall? By the way, right, right and wrong is very one on the Enneagram. One's thinking tons of right and wrong. <laughs> that it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I had a coach tell that. me, you're like, you do right and wrong a lot. So anyhow. Yeah, look at you. Yeah, I like it. Self-reflective. <laughs> So there are questions that you can ask yourself, like number one is, do I believe that I can be successful here? And I, I want to tweak it slightly with is, do I believe that I can believe that I can be successful here? Mm. Because initially we might not believe it, but we believe that we can believe it. And I think that's an important distinction. Another question that you want to ask yourself is, is this terrain of an S-curve familiar enough? And so if you look at the research, um, something new, you want 85 to 95% familiarity. Um, mm. You don't want 100% familiarity because then it's not worth doing. But 85 to 95% familiarity and 5 to 15% novelty is a good starting point ratio of when you decide to do something new. For example, if I think okay. I want to do something new, I'm going to go become a UFC fighter. It's probably more than 5 to 15% novelty which may mean it's not quite the right S-curve for me at this point in my life. You also want to ask that. yourself, is the reward worth the cost? And when you're thinking about that, you're thinking that the, the, the tangible reward, the emotional reward, you're doing a cost-benefit analysis. Then you've got identity questions. And it doesn't need to be in mm. sync with the identity that you have now. It can be in sync with the identity that you want to have. But for example, if you think about people changing religions, 
a family has been one religion, you want to change to another religion, you might want that identity, but there may be a huge emotional cost. Is it mm-hmm. one that you're willing to, to incur? Then you go to values and purpose. And if all those questions, you put those together and you say, yep, they, I tick off the boxes, then you say, I'm going to stay on this S-curve a little while longer, not convinced that I'm going to stay here for, for the duration, but I want to move to the collection phase, collecting data mm-hmm. of can I, is the ecosystem hospitable to what I want to do? Can I get the resources that I need, the water, the sunlight, the, the people that will allow me to move into the accelerator phase of the S-curve? So there's the explorer, the collector, um, can I get the resources? And do I really, really want to do this? And if you do, you're going to start to build momentum and then, and then zoom or zip into, tip into the sweet spot. So before you move through those, um, explorers is exploring, like, like really trying, Mm -hmm. uh, looking at different data, like, you know, and just giving yourself that the, the moment to be curious in this and then collector, it sounds like resource gathering. Yes. Like all the things that we need to go on this, Mm -hmm. this journey. Mm -hmm. Am I right about this? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. I think I want to be then, here. Yeah, Can I get the resources? the next one. Yeah. So Accelerator, now you're in the sweet spot. So what's happened here, this is the place of fast. And for you okay. as a psychologist, you're going to appreciate this because what's happening when you're in the Accelerator phase is according to self-determination theory, although we played with it a little bit, instead of we turned it into an acronym of C-A-R of you're going fast, competence, mm-hmm. autonomy, relatedness. The experience that you're having here is you're feeling quite capable. You're feeling autonomous, the sense of I have control over the outcome of what I'm doing. And you also feel the sense of relatedness to what it is you're doing as well as the people that are around you. And so you're now um, moving very quickly. The momentum has picked up. So at the launch point, it's hard to start because of everything we talked about. Now it's almost hard to stop because the momentum takes over, Mm. which could be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, But the challenge for you in the sweet spot is focus. So at the launch point, you need support. In the sweet spot, you need focus because you are going fast. You're also very competent. You're very good Mm -hmm. at what you're doing. And so people say, hey, Shelly, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And all of a sudden, whereas you needed to be saying yes a lot, now you need to start saying no and focus Mm. so that you can continue your way up that curve and not get, you know, basically not crash into the, the, the rails. I love just, just a little side note. I love that you're, you're explaining how people are on different parts of the journey. Mm-hmm. They're on, they're at different stages. And so I've heard people say, just say no to everything. I'm like, well, I'm building a business. Like I can't, I'm not at the point to say no to everything. So I love that you give permission to people to be where you are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like gather the resources for the part that you're on. Yep. Exactly. So yes, that's good. Right. That's so good. at the launch point, it's slow. You want to say yes a lot. And the sweet spot, it's fast. You want to say no a lot. And so this is that place where the identity is shifting. You've got accelerator and then you move into metamorph. And this is where it's no longer this thing that you're doing. You've been really deliberate about it. And now it's just becoming who you are, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's um, a successful business owner, whether it's, um, you know, learning to become a runner, which I talk about in the book. When I say runner, I don't mean marathon runner. I mean running a couple miles a day. 
Yeah. But I didn't do that before, so now I consider myself a runner. So there's identity shift that takes place, and that's why it's called a metamorph, because it's metamorphosis. Mm. So this, again, is a place where growth feels and is fast. So that's, that's a sweet spot. Go to mastery? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with, so yeah mastery, we the master, we're the third stage yeah, now. Third which stage, is, which is the top of the mountain. And there are two stages here as well. So the first is a very important and often overlooked ephemeral stage, which is the anchor stage. That's the place where you get to the top of the mountain and you say, okay, what did I do? You focus on what you did so you can get more of it. You pause, you reflect, you survey, survey everything you've done, and you celebrate. Mm. Because as you celebrate Mm. and you anchor it, you get more of it, but you're also honoring the fact that you did this thing, which is really important to you. Oh, I love that. So that's we don't do that. No, we Most don't. Most of us don't do that. We don't because we're taught not to. And mm-hmm. so, even if it's brief, it's very important part. But it's also bittersweet because you know that you can't stay there forever. It's like being at the top of a mountain, tw- altitude of twenty six thousand feet. It's so high up; it's a death zone. Your brain and body start to die. Same with the top mm. of an S curve. And so, you go to the mountaineer phase. Now that you're top of the mountain, you keep climbing. Now. Keep climbing may be another S-curve. It may be you find a way to do so much more that you basically push yourself back down into the sweet spot, but it gives you this way of knowing once I'm here, I can't stay here. I will stagnate. My plateau will become a precipice. And so Mm. it's this place that seems like it's the top of the mountain. You can stay here forever, but it's actually a very, um, um, not precipitous, precarious. It's a precarious place. Mm. So here I'm, I'm thinking about where I'm at Mm -hmm. in my, a lot of my development. Um, and it's, this is making a lot of sense to me and I'm so glad to know this theory and that I'm not a weirdo. Um, cause I think I'm, you know, as I, as we're building our business, um, so, and I have a a big workshop coming up on Friday. Mm -hmm. So, and this is, this is what I do every time I have a workshop. I fret and stress. Um, it's not perfect enough. It's not good. At, you know, all those those things that we do, uh, I do with my, my one wing over there. Um, when I get there, I love it. I have so much fun when I've prepared enough. Um, everything about it I enjoy. So I do feel like I'm at, in that sweet spot, mm-hmm. like here and now in the moment. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, the next workshop, same thing's going to happen. Um, and I'm, I, I kind of, it's like I go like that collector stage of resource management. Um, I think there's something there for me to really hone in on, like really looking at, cause I, I told you I'm kind of all or nothing. Mm-hmm. I go, I'm, I break or I gas, like I go or I stop. So that stage, I think there's so much wisdom in that, like pausing, how much time do I need for this? Uh, am I going to be able to, you know, run, do my two miles a day and eat my, you know, keep, keep myself healthy and engaged. And I, I tend to quite unconsciously skip over that, mm. which is really interesting. And I think there's something really important about that stage, um, to sustain the acceleration. Yeah. Right. That's what I think of. Like, I'm not I'm not doing the collector as well as I think I probably, 
Yeah, I mean, you can tell me if that's right. Well, it's interesting when you're talking about the collector. So when you're saying collecting, are you saying collecting the resources you need or in the form of preparation so that it's actually fun once you get there? Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying something else? Yeah. Yeah. And I think giving myself space Mm -hmm. and time, a runway, Mm -hmm. ideas, Mm -hmm. uh, practicing thing, you know, like, like it's, it's nothing. And then it's all, oh yeah, everything. Okay, and so it's very much going from explorer to jumping to this. How do I just perform at this top peak uh, without really going through this process okay. that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense, and it's interesting because it's a bit of a callback to what I said earlier when I when I left Wall Street. Is I I was it was scary to me to go through all that preparation phase, or um, and so you just wanted just race through it and move straight into accelerator, but then you can't enjoy accelerator because you're going so fast. You don't feel like you're going 120 miles an hour, but you've only practiced going at hundred miles an hour as opposed to spending that time in collector phase. So I'll tell you something that I do sometimes, and maybe you'll relate to this is I'll prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare for a speech, for example. But one of the things I've learned recently about myself is that I'm doing not always the right kind of preparation. So Mm. I'm preparing what I want to say, but not always spending enough time preparing, practicing what I want to say, which goes to the collection Mm. piece of getting the resources, meaning I am the resource in that instance, is what resources do I need so that when it's time to hit the gas, Mm -hmm. you've got the right gas in the tank. It's not just some gas, it's the right gas. And so that's that's what I'm hearing you say. What what do you think when I say that? Oh, I totally like, yes, everything you're saying. Okay. Um, I think for me, what, you know, if, if you're my coach. Yeah. All right. We're, we're, we're coaching <laughs> each other right is, now. <laughs> yeah. I would, t- I would have to figure out like uh, what you just said, even what, what it made me think of is preparing myself, head, heart, mm-hmm. body to go into this work in this, this accelerated place with it yeah. in a, in a, whole healthy way yeah. um, because I'm so focused on content yeah. that I don't think about presence yeah. or how I want to be when I'm in that workshop. When I'm there, I'm in yeah, it. Yeah, you're good. But yeah, I think you're right. Well, I love this. So you just taught me something um, about the process for me generally because I wasn't quite thinking about collector that way. So you've just taught me something new about this idea of preparing for a workshop or a speech how to make sure that you don't go f- try to skip over the collector phase and go straight from explorer to accelerator. Because if you'll stay in that collector phase, then when you're going 140 miles an hour, you'll be like, this is the time of my life because you're ready yeah. to go 140 miles an hour. Yeah. Or 220 exactly. miles an hour. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that we all have different sensitivities mm-hmm. to. M- maybe staying in one of these places, mm-hmm. <laughs> these six stages, more or less than we maybe should. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, because I know a lot of people that probably get stuck in Explorer mm-hmm. and they're just kind of, you know, con- like always uh, looking for enough data yes. to confirm that they sh- can go forward. Yes. Um, in fact, I see a lot of people that kind of slog through mm-hmm. that and just stay in that. Yeah. Um, and then there's some of us that I think you, you might be this as well, who kind of, who really go through quickly, um, and, and need to really spend 
time on each of these stages and give them their their due. Yeah, give collectors. So I just really love that model. Yeah, that's fascinating. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. I love it. I want to ask um, one more question, mm -hmm. if I can, because I thought um, this was really interesting. You, I, um, and this is from Chad, a question that he had, that you had suggested that 2022 would be a year of tremendous growth in our, in our workplaces and that the great resignation would really be called the great aspiration. So I wanted, I'm super curious about that. If you could talk just briefly about that. Okay. I had to text my son. Ah, no worries. Please do. Psychologists have found, and you know this because you're a psychologist, that periods of severe stress, like a pandemic, are often mm. followed by tremendous growth. Over the past two years, we have all been under severe stress we have all been pushed off the S-curve that we were on. There's the pre-pandemic S-curve, and now there's, we hope, the post-pandemic S-curve. And in the process of being pushed off that mountain, we discovered some things about ourselves. We discovered we were more resilient than we thought. We mm. discovered capacities, capabilities that we didn't know we had. And so as we're coming out of this, to have people go back to what they were doing and to people don't want to do it. In fact, mm -hmm. they just can't do it. And to say that they're resigning implies that people are giving up. And I think that people are not giving up. We are saying, I want more. I aspire to more. And so it's not that it's the great resignation. Yes, people are resigning, but it's because it's the great aspiration. They are saying, I see more. Like when I left Wall Street, there's more for me. Don't know what it looks mm -hmm. like, but I know that there's more. I know that there's more for my family. I know there's more. And so I need to figure out what that looks like. And since I can't change things enough here where I am, that I need to do it somewhere else. Mm. I could not agree more. Yeah, I think um, it's post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. Is that what I think what we'll probably see in the next decade um, and it's really exciting I agree. to it's thrilling. be around and see what happens. It is thrilling. Yeah. Well, Whitney, thank you so much. Thank you for being here, for sharing your work, your book, um, you, yourself with us. I think our audiences, I know they're going to love learning about what you're doing. And the application, I know you've worked so much with the application into organizations, but to see this personal application, I think is, um, is really a gift. Mm -hmm. It's tremendous. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Mm -hmm. And I want, pe I want people to check your podcast out too. Can you tell us real quickly what your podcast is? Yeah. So it's called Disrupt Yourself. And the idea is that if you're growing, the mechanism by which you grow is you disrupt and you step back from who you are. And we talked about this at the outset. And so um, I interview people similar to what you and I are doing today. And um, it's fun seeing what people are made of and what makes them tick. And I, I get the sense that you like to do that as well. At least that's, oh, that's the experience that I just had. So that's what I get to do. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I agree. It's fun to hear stories and um, just see examples of life. You know, people having all these ideas and ways that they're applying it. 
So, okay, y'all, check out her book, Whitney Johnson's book, Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. You all will love it. Uh, And thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us, Whitney. Oh, Shelly, thank you for having me.